As you reach for your Bible, if you'll stand with me, turn to the book of Ruth. We're going to be reading Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. As Pastor Bruce continues in the series, our second week, Finding Hope in a Disappointing World. This morning's message is titled, The Road to Nowhere. We'll be reading Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. Ephrathides of Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to the country of Moab and remained there. That Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab, the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the women survived her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and ask that you would open our hearts and minds to learn um, about finding hope in a disappointing world. And our hope is found in you. Thank you for your word and thank you for the book of Ruth and the applications we can make from it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, how many college football fans do we have here? Ah, oh, quite a few. So you enjoyed this weekend. Enjoyed yesterday. College football season began yesterday. Actually, Friday night, really Thursday night. And uh, so, man, I'm, I'm a huge college football fan. Love NFL as well. Any football, to be honest with you. I'll even watch high school football on TV. And uh, I'll watch it all. And uh, so what a great weekend. Uh, Labor Day weekend, kickoff of uh, the football season. It's a holiday weekend. Who, has, who gets to the, tomorrow off work? Most of you do. All right, that's pretty good. Kids are out of school, right? Kids, you guys like the idea of being out of school tomorrow? Yeah. We're glad to have our kingdom kids here worshiping with us. On the holiday weekends, they come in. Always a great time for them to be here. Well, if you were here with us last Sunday, we began a brand new series on the book of Ruth. And uh, we're calling this series, Finding Hope in a Disappointing World. And we saw last Sunday that Ruth is a small book, it's only four chapters long, but it's an amazing book about God redeeming Ruth in order to accomplish his greater purpose of redeeming people like us, people who are not part of his covenant family. And this is a good thing. Let me tell you, Ruth gives us hope for people like us because we're not part of God's covenant family. We're not Jewish. We aren't part of God's family in the Old Testament. And so, as we're going to see later on in this book, Ruth gets in on God's family. That's a cool thing because that gives us hope. That means we can't. And of course, as we saw last Sunday, Ruth is just a, a microcosm of the gospel. It's the gospel in miniature. And so, Ruth... The book is all about God redeeming Ruth in order that he could fulfill his greater purpose of redeeming mankind through his son, Jesus Christ, that was to come later. This story is is really about God bringing people from sorrow to joy, from tears to rejoicing, from bitterness to blessedness, from emptiness to fullness, as they turn their life to God, as they turn their heart to God and put their trust in him. It's the wonderful story, as we're calling it, of finding hope in a disappointing world. 
And who here doesn't need a little hope in their life? I don't know about you, but I know I do. I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh yeah, I need all kinds of hope. My wife looks at me and says, yeah, he needs some hope, all right. All right, listen, we all need hope. And, and, that, and that varies. Your circumstances right now be one of such that you need a whole lot of hope. Other times, some of you may be living on the mountaintop and you're like, oh man, I'm, I'm in the dream. I'm in the hope right now. But we all need hope. All of us do. And as people living in a sin-filled world, here's the reason why. Because none of us are immune to life's difficulties. None of us are immune to life's hardships and disappointments. And that's, in essence, that's what brings us to the, to the heart of this book, to the theme of the book of Ruth. Notice it coming up on the screen here, the theme of this book is all about to find hope in a disappointing world. Turn to your neighbor, turn to your friend, turn to the world. No, turn to God. If you want to find hope in a disappointing world, turn to God. Why? Because as we saw last Sunday, God is at work in the worst of times. Now that's something to be excited about, amen? That's a pretty cool thought. To realize that when we look out among us, and, and across this world, and even maybe in your own life, and you think, man... This world's going to hell in a handbasket. Life stinks right now for me, even personally. We can remember, you know what? Even though I may not see it, even though I may not feel it, God is at work. God is at work in the worst of times. Therefore, I will turn to Him for my hope. No matter what, period. That is the book of Ruth. It's an undeniable fact now that all of us are traveling on a road through life. Your road looks a little different than mine. My road looks a little different than yours. But all of us are traveling on a road through life. And on that road, there are certain defining moments. We could say there are, there are key crossroads along the way as we travel on this road. And on the one hand, there are certain times when we are defined by the choices we make while traveling on this road. Will we choose the path that everyone else is choosing, or will we choose the, quote, road less traveled? On the other hand, there are also times when it seems that we are defined by the choices life makes for us. These are the occasions when life gives us no choice at all, but just kind of thrusts us willy-nilly down a path that we would never choose for ourselves. Let me give you an example. Think about it. No one chooses the death of a spouse. Do you choose that for yourself? No way. Nobody does. No one chooses the loss of a job. No one chooses life-threatening cancer. No one chooses a crippling accident, and yet these two can be defining moments in our life. Now, all of us here this morning, whether we are defined by the choices we've made on our journey, on our road, or the choices life has made for us. Listen, we are on a journey through life, a road that is heading towards some destination. And the question is, where are you going? Where are you headed? The opening verses of the book of Ruth is a story of one family's journey on the road to nowhere. As well as the fallout of traveling down that road. 
Now, the book of Ruth, especially this first chapter, what we're going to see in it is it shows us that our choices have consequences, both good and bad. However, our lives, and get this, please get this, while our choices have consequences, both good and bad, please understand that our lives are much more, so much more, than the consequences of the decisions we have made and the events that happen in our life. Here's what I mean by that. There is a mysterious X factor that is evident in the book of Ruth. A factor that has the power to change everything. It has the power to change our lives even today. You're like, well, what is that X factor? That X factor is called the grace of God. And this X factor is evident in the book of Ruth. Now, that grace is not always evident to us, but it is always there working according to God's sovereign purposes. And ultimately, the grace of God is the defining X factor in our lives. Now, this is why, if we're going to find hope in the disappointing world in which we live in, we must turn to God because God's grace is at work in the worst of times. But how many times do we find ourselves on the, quote, road to nowhere before we first turn to God. This was where one family finds themselves in the beginning of Ruth chapter 1. They were on the road to nowhere as a result of a choice at a key crossroad in their life. And perhaps that's where you find yourself today, If you're honest with your own life, you would have to say, yep, that's where I'm at. I'm on the road to nowhere. Well, let's examine this road. Let's take a look at how we get on this road. Let's take a look at how we can even get off of this road to nowhere. And let's answer some of those questions by looking at this one's family's journey on the road to nowhere in the opening verses of Ruth chapter 1. We're going to break it down into three scenes, if you will. And we have scene number one we can call the choice. Scene number one is the choice where this family runs to Moab. They run to Moab. The story begins with a man named Elimelech, his wife Naomi, and their two sons, Malon and Kilion. Zach did a pretty good job pronouncing those names. In fact, why don't we say those names together? Malon, Malon. And you may say Chilion or Kilion, it's pronounced both ways, it doesn't really matter. To me, they sound like Star Trek names. <laughs> Alright? And, and these names are interesting. One means sick, and the other one means dying. Why you would name your kids that, I don't know. Here's, here, you know, here's my boys, Asian bird flu and walking pneumonia. <laughs> Welcome to my family, Malin and Kilion. Anyway, this family lives in the town of Bethlehem, which we learned last Sunday means the house of bread. And it seems like everything is wonderful in this family's life as they live in the town of Bethlehem called the house of bread. But then verse 1 says that there was a famine in the land of Judah, Bethlehem. So now there's no bread in the house of bread, which is ironic, and everything is not so wonderful anymore for this family. Now, We learned last Sunday, or we answered the question, why was there a famine in the land? Well, as we saw 
Last Sunday, this physical famine in the land of Bethlehem was the result of a spiritual famine in the days when the judges ruled. And if you want a description of what the days of the judges ruled was like, all you got to do is go back one book and read the book of Judges. But then the very last verse in the book of Judges kind of summarizes it all for us. Kind of like the Cliff Note version. And what was the spiritual condition of God's people in the days of the Judges? Well, according to Judges 21-25, everyone was just doing what was right in their own eyes instead of doing what was right in God's eyes. And so God sent His people a famine. This famine, as we saw, was a sign of God's judgment. Hey, something's wrong spiritually in your lives. But the famine was also a wake-up call from God to get things right spiritually with Him. And that was the whole purpose of this famine. But what's interesting, in verse 1, it starts out by saying a certain man. You almost get the impression that Elimelech and his family, they weren't the only ones facing this crossroad, this defining moment, this famine in the land of Judah. It's a generalized term, a certain man. He doesn't give us his name yet. And so perhaps... There were several families facing the exact same defining moment, the exact same crossroad as they faced this crisis in the land of Judah of a famine. But now God wants us to focus in and laser in on one specific person. One specific family. And he wants us to understand and get an idea and learn from this family as they make a choice on how to respond to a crisis in life. So our focus is on this famine, family as they face this famine in the land. In other words, this family is at a crossroad in life. And it's this defining moment that Elimelech now has a choice to make. He has a road to choose. And the question for him that he has to decide is, do I remain with my family in Bethlehem where there is no bread and people are literally starving to death and turn to God and trust Him to provide? Or, do I do what is right in my own eyes and move to the land of Moab in search of food? That's His choice. That's His crossroad. His defining moment in life. So what do you think He chooses? Well, notice it. Notice Elimelech's choice. Instead of turning back to the Lord, Elimelech turned his back on the Lord to live in the land of Moab. Instead of turning to God, instead of trusting God to provide bread for his family, Elimelech chose to take matters into his own hands and move to Moab. Now what Elimelech fails to understand is that you can't run from your problems. By moving to Moab, Elimelech is trying to run from the underlying spiritual causes of the famine, such as... Sin, rebellion from God, living independently from God. That's what this phrase, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, means. When you're doing right in your own eyes, and not doing right in the eyes of God, how are we living? We're basically saying, I'm my own God, I'm going to live my own way, and I'm going to live my way according to what I think is best. And a lot of times we do that based on feelings and emotion. And we're emotional-based and feeling-based in how we live about that. We go with the swarm of the culture. And this is what Elimelech's doing. But he's running from it. 
instead of dealing with the problem. Instead, like so many men do even today, he simply looks at the economics of the situation. He simply looks at the job opportunity before him and the temporary benefits of moving to Moab. So Elimelech turns his back on God and he relocates his family. He uproots them and moves them, relocates them to this land. In the end of verse 2, it says, notice it, and they went to the country of Moab and what? And remained there. You see, in verse 1, his intention was just to go there temporarily, just to sojourn there. I'm only going to get some temporary relief from this family, I mean from this famine, and go to Moab. But in essence, it became his home. He remained there. Now, you might be wondering about now, well, what's the big deal, Bruce? So what if he moved his family to the land of Moab? Good night. He was only trying to provide for his family. There was no bread in the house of bread, and people were starving. He had an obligation as the head of the household to do this. Well, that's a nice thought until you begin to understand exactly where he was moving his family to. Moab is a terrible place to move your family to. Moab is about 50 miles across, 50 miles east across the Dead Sea. And get this, here's, here's what God thinks about Moab. That's always a good place to start. Well, what does God think about it? What's God think about my decision before me? What does God say I should do? So here's God's thoughts on the country of Moab and the people, the Moabites. If you go to Psalm, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you, but in Psalm chapter 60, verse 8, God says that Moab is my wash bowl. Moab is my wash bowl. Poetically speaking, God is saying, Moab is the place where I wash the dirt and grime and filth off my feet. In other words, we could say today, Moab is like a garbage can to me. It's a garbage dump. That's what I think about the country of Moab. Now, why in the world would God say this about Moab? Well, for starters, the Moabites were descendants of Lot. And Lot may be familiar to you. And they were descendants of Lot, not from a good relationship, but from an incestuous relationship that Lot had with his own daughter. You can read about that in Genesis 19. So his daughter gives birth to a son named Moab, and from that boy came the Moabites. Moabites, one of the things that they did, they hired Balaam to curse Israel, to curse God's people when they were coming out of the land of Egypt and on their way to the promised land. They hired Balaam to curse them instead of helping them and providing them with food and water. Not only that, on the same journey here, the Moabite women seduced Israelite men into immorality and idolatry. Moab then had just recently invaded Israel and were oppressing God's people for the last 18 years during the time of the judges. Furthermore, the Moabites worshipped false gods. One of the false gods' name was, is Chemosh and Molech. They don't worship Yahweh. They don't worship the one true God. Now, does this sound like a place to go in order to raise a godly family? No wonder God told his people, don't have anything to do with the Moabites in Deuteronomy chapter 23. Why? Because they were considered a wicked and evil and immoral and sensuous people, a perverted people. 
So Moab is the last place where God's people are to live, and yet Moab is the first place where Elimelech chooses to relocate his family. You get the picture now? Now before we move on, notice the sad irony here of Elimelech's choice in relation to his name. Notice this up on the screen. Elimelech's name means, my God is king. Yet what does he do? He made a life-defining decision that revealed God was anything but his king. And because God was his king in name only, and not in his heart, Elimelech chose to do what was best in his own eyes. Instead of following the path of turning to God and trusting God to provide for his needs, what does he do? He chose what seemed to be the best prospects of supporting his family from a human standpoint, from a human perspective. And so he chose the road to Moab. Well, that brings up a question. Why do we choose that same road? Because, I mean, let's just be honest here, we do. I do. We're really no different in a lot of ways than Elimelech. So, why do we sometimes, and perhaps oftentimes, choose the road to Moab? Why do we sometimes, and perhaps oftentimes, make wrong choices in life like Elimelech did here? Well, let me just give you two reasons. One, like Elimelech, we make wrong choices when we hear God, but we don't obey God. You see, the, the tragedy, get this, the tragedy of Elimelech's story here in the first five verses of the book of Ruth is that he heard the voice of God. He heard the voice of the king. But he did not heed the voice of the king. You say, well, how did he hear about it? He was hearing it loud and clear through the famine. Also, he heard it loud and clear through the law, the Moses that gave, the Ten Commandments. It wasn't like he was without God's word. Remember, the famine was God's wake-up call to repent and return, but instead of turning back to God, he turned his back on God. Why did he do that? Why did he leave Bethlehem? One reason and one reason only. Moab had bread and Bethlehem did not. Elimelech, he is justifying it. He's reasoning all this out in his mind. And he's saying, hey, listen, I need bread. My family needs bread. And we need it now. We can't wait. So he takes his wife and family to Moab searching for bread. But Elimelech, get this, he's addressing the wrong problem here. And he's ignoring the real problem. You see, the problem was not a lack of bread in Bethlehem. Oh, that may seem like the physical problem, but it wasn't the spiritual problem that was causing the physical problem. And so the lack of bread was not the real problem. The problem was the lack of a right relationship with God. Elimelech is running from the real problem. He's not wanting to get right with God, along with the rest of God's people. He's not waiting for God's bread. He's going for Moab's bread. He's just walking, we could say, by sight and not by faith. Which brings us to a second reason we often make wrong choices in life. We make wrong choices when we walk by sight 
and not by faith. See, when you walk by faith and not by sight, you know what? We make right choices. But when we walk by sight and not by faith, we make wrong choices. And when you're in a crisis, it's so easy to start making choices based on what I can see with my eyes, what I can understand with my mind, what makes logical sense in my heart. And that's how we begin to make choices in life. When you're living in Bethlehem, and there's a famine, it's easy to take the steering wheel and say, I know what I'm going to do, because God, you don't seem to be doing it right now. You're not providing for me, and so I'm going to Moab. But that's a terrible decision. Someone has said, faith is believing God despite the appearances, and obeying God despite the consequences. Now, let's just step back here for a moment. Let's step back from this road to nowhere that Elimelech chose for himself and his family. This man, this father, this husband, this Israelite, he serves as a tragic example of a man who didn't count the spiritual cost of relocating his family. He failed to consider that when he made this decision for his family, he was mortgaging his family's future. And like so many men do even today, he simply counted the financial cost and ignored the spiritual cost of his decision. And as a result of relocating to Moab, Elimelech implicates his wife and his two sons in his tragic decision. Now his wife, Naomi, Part of the blame lies with her as well, because we don't know. We don't know if she spoke up to her husband and said, listen, this is a bad, bad move. The we, Bible doesn't tell us anything of where she stood in relation to this decision. We don't know. All I know is she's there by her husband, and her husband made the decision. His two sons are there by their dad. And they're in the land of Moab, and they're making a home for themselves. And it's about to turn ugly for him. Now let me ask you, and especially us men, what road are you choosing in life? Which road will you choose? Because the road you choose defines you, and it will direct the course of your life for the future. So let me just throw out a warning here from God's Word. Choose carefully. Because our choices have consequences. You say, well, what were the consequences of Elimelech's choice? Well, that brings us to scene number two. Scene two, the consequences, and what we have here is death in Moab. Death is everywhere in this scene. Now, the road to Moab turned out to be the road to nowhere, but that reality was not immediately apparent, of course. But then it rarely is, is it? You see, at first... When they got to the country of Moab, it seemed as if Elimelech had made the logical choice. Because while God's people were suffering and hungry back home, you know what there was in Moab? Food. And so his kids and his wife were patting him on the back going, Woo, great, Dad. Woo, go for it, man. We love you. I mean, he is dad number one right now. Because they got food, they got comfort, and they're living high on the hog in Moab. 
In the beginning, Elimelech was able to provide for his family in comfort. And it wasn't long before Moab became home. And everything seems great all over again. But. 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 Suddenly, tragedy strikes. And this family finds themselves, get this, trading famine for funerals. Notice this up on the screen. What happens? Elimelech died in Moab. And then ten years later, his sons died in Moab. Notice what it says in verse 3. Look in your Bibles with me. Verse 3. It says, Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. He what? He died. Now why did Elimelech move to Moab? So he wouldn't die. But what did he do in Moab? He died. Moral of the story is, death is in God's hands, not ours. We don't know how he died. Was it because of old age? Did Elimelech die of a heart attack? Did he get hit by a camel? Or was it just God's judgment on his life? We don't know. God doesn't tell us. And this is so typical of life in general, isn't it? Something happens in our life. And most of the time, we think of it in terms of bad. Something tragic happens. Difficulty comes our way. Loss of a job, a death of a spouse, you name it, it doesn't matter. Something happens, and we ask the question, why? Why, God? And what happens? Back. Silence. God doesn't answer the question. Listen, listen to me. We know everything we need to know. But we rarely know everything we want to know. And that's why we must walk by faith and not by sight. That's why we must live by faith and simply trust God in the situation. Now, life doesn't stop for the rest of the Elimelech's family. His wife and two sons, life goes on for them. Notice what it says now in the rest of verses 3 and 4. It says, Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left in her two sons. Now, here's how life goes on for them. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Now, question, were God's men to marry Moabite women? What do you guys think? No. Listen, it was greatly frowned upon. In fact, some commentators argue that it was even forbidden outright. The bottom line is, whichever way you want to go, whether they were strictly forbidden to or greatly frowned upon, they were, these two sons, Malon and Kilion, were hooking up unequally yoked with these women. They worshipped false gods. They weren't part of God's covenant family. And so now you have Israelite men hooking up in marriage with, with Moabite Gentile women who are not part of God's family, who don't worship Yahweh, who, who worship false gods. And so now, it's, it's, all the Scripture principles say this is bad. This is a bad thing. This is not going to work. And just when you think it can't get any worse for Naomi, look what happens now in verse 5. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. Say, what? They died too. Again, let me ask you, why did Elimelech move to Moab? So he and his sons would not die. But what happened? 
They died, and they died in Moab, no less. Now, this story gets about as bleak and dark and hopeless as it can possibly get right now. I mean, can you think of anything worse than burying your own children? Listen, i got two sons, like many of you have children. I have a 13-year-old and a 9-year-old, and I can't think of anything worse than having to bury my own sons. And yet this is what happened to Naomi. She buried her husband, and then she buries her only two sons before she even gets grandchildren. Consequences to our choices. What are some of the consequences to our choices? Notice this in your notes. Let me give you just a few of them. Wrong choices often bring difficulty in life. Duh. Right? This was certainly true for Elimelech's family, and it's true for us as well. And yet I marvel, it never ceases to amaze me, when people make wrong choices in life, and then they act shocked, they act amazed, when difficulty then comes into their life. As if it should not. I'm like, knock on their head, duh, what do you think's going to happen? You make a wrong choice, and you think everything just to be fine? That's not the way it works. It's almost as if we think God should bless us in spite of our wrong choices. Now, let me just say on a little side note here, difficulty is not always the result of wrong choices in life. Difficulty can come into our life even in spite of right choices, even in spite of living for God. And all you got to do as a case example of that is go to what book in the Old Testament? Study what person's life? The book of Job. Job was one of the most righteous men in all the earth. And let me tell you, difficulty came into his life because God allowed it. God wanted it to happen. And so sometimes when we see somebody enduring difficulty, don't just automatically assume, oh, wrong choices or living wrong from God. No, 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 no. And yet, on the other hand, wrong choices often will bring difficulty into our life. And we shouldn't act surprised then when it happens. Number two, wrong choices often limit God's blessings in life. Wrong choices have a way of short-circuiting God's blessings in life. Listen, God wants to bless you, but He cannot bless you when you're living apart from Him in the land of Moab. God says, you're not in my will. You're not honoring me with your life. How can I bless you in the land of Moab? Get right with me, and then I can bless you. And then number three, wrong choices often cause bitterness towards God. We'll look at this in detail next Sunday, but if you jump to verse 20 of Ruth chapter 1, Naomi here describes her bitterness towards God when she said, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Now again, this is a play on words. This is a play on the meaning of the names here. Naomi's name means pleasant, but she is so full of pain and sorrow and bitterness, she says, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter, or call me Mara. Listen, it's a terrible thing to get bitter toward God. It's a terrible thing to get bitter towards God. And you say, why is that? Because where do you turn to if you're bitter at God? 
There's no other place to turn. And God is the only one that can heal you and bless you. And if you shut off God, then you have nowhere to turn. And that just leaves you to dry up inside and become a bitter old person that nobody wants to hang out with and be around. There's no doubt Naomi's world came crashing down around her on the road to nowhere. After two weddings... And three funerals, notice the circumstances she finds herself in. Number three, scene three, the circumstances. And it is grief in Moab. Grief in Moab. Some of the most, in my opinion, some of the most heartbreaking, sorrowful, painful words in this story are found at the end of verse five. Look at it. Notice it at the end of verse 5. And I want to read it to you out of the NIV translation because I think it captures the heartbreak when it says, Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Naomi was left. Some of your other translations say Naomi was survived or survived by. Listen, in my opinion, this is a picture of absolute devastation, desolation, and desperation. But i got to admit at the same time, I love the brutal honesty of God's word here. Right? I mean, I love the way God's word just tells it like it is. I love how God's word reveals the pain and heartache here in the book of Ruth as, as if it's still as real as it is to what happens to us in this life today. And God's word, it just, it, who can, we all can relate to this. Notice the reality of the devastating grief of these three widows here. Look at it in the screen, on your screen. Naomi, what is she? She's an elderly widow all alone in a foreign land. While Ruth and Orpah are childless widows without any hope. Now, just step back with me for a moment. And just think about Naomi's circumstances in which she finds herself in. She is left penniless and destitute here. Naomi is a stranger in a strange land. She's an aging, widowed woman of no significance in a male-dominated culture. With no one to care for her and no one to care about her. Not to mention that her two daughters-in-law are childless widows without any hope. I think it's safe to say the choice to leave Bethlehem for Moab was the road to nowhere. Listen, it was a road filled with difficulty, death, and devastating grief. And now Naomi is facing her own personal defining moment in life. It was time for her to make a defining choice. How will she respond to such heartache and pain? And her defining moment brings us to a truth, oh, let me tell you, that can give us hope and can absolutely change your life here today. Notice this truth on the road home. Listen, look at it. No matter how far you roam from God, 
No matter how far you roam from God, the road home begins by turning back to God. This is where hope and grace are found. Listen to me. Naomi has been away from home for a long time. At least ten years. Her husband is dead. Her sons are dead. But folks, listen to me. God is not dead. God is at work in the worst of times. You don't believe me? Check it out, verse 6. Go there. Look at it with me. Look what happens next. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Then she, speaking of Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. Why? Here's God at work in the worst of times. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited His people in giving them what? Bread. This is the turning point in the story. This is the turning point in Naomi's life. And folks, listen to me. This can be the turning point in your life. The road home always begins by turning back to God. You see, just when you think all hope is lost, just when you think God doesn't care about me, just when you think God is so far away, there's no way He can intervene on my life. Listen, God is at work. God has visited His people in giving them bread. And God can visit your life. God was gracious to Naomi. He gave her the opportunity to hear what was going on and to return back to Him. This is the defining, remember, the X factor we saw at the beginning? This is it right here coming out is the defining X factor of God's grace at work in her life. And the question is, will she respond to it? And it's the question for us, when the X factor is at work in our lives, will we ignore it or will we respond to it? And when Naomi heard that God was at work, what did she do? Did she wait around thinking about it? Did she pray about it? No way! It says she arose and left Moab, and returned back home. And you get the idea she did it with urgency. In other words, she didn't think about it, and she didn't have to pray about it. Why? Because the road home to God is where grace and hope is found. You know what this means? This means no matter how far you roam from God. I don't care what your life has been like. I don't care what you've done in the past. Listen, the road home begins by a simple turning to God. It means no matter what you have done and how long you have done it, God offers you His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness. God gives you the opportunity to return Home to Him. So as we bring this to a close, let me ask you, have you drifted away from Him? Is it time for you to wake up to the reality of your situation and simply turn your heart back to God? I love what God says in Joel chapter 2, 12 and 13. Look at this verse. It's in your notes. This is such an awesome verse. Look at it. It says, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, 
with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Let me ask you, are you on the road to nowhere? And are you honest enough to admit it? Remember, the road home begins by turning back to God. This is where your hope and this is where God's grace is found. With your heads bowed. And as we come to our response time, you say, why do you call it response time? Because it's when we respond to God. This is, this is our time to, to, for us to look inwardly in our heart as we have looked in the mirror of God's Word and to open up our heart to God and respond to Him. Folks, listen, I, I don't know where each of you are personally in your relationship with God, but some of you, you could be so far from God, and you just need to turn. You need to turn home. You need to come home. And God welcomes you with open arms, just like the prodigal son came home to the Father. And perhaps some of you here, you, you just need to come home for the very first time. You don't have God as your Father. You're not part of the family, of God's family. And God is waiting for you just as much. Will you come home? Will you return home? He's waiting with His grace and forgiveness. It's up to you to respond right where you're at in prayer. You cry out to Him as the praise team sings.